All right. So it's really awesome to be back together. And this semester, uh, I guess we don't have a slide about it, but our theme, all the lessons are going to be about, if you may have seen posters on, ca on campus, and like, what's that about? Uh, it says, setting captives free, and the subtitle is Jesus is King, right? So the first part is sort of the what, like what are we doing, uh, sharing the gospel, living this kingdom life, like what's it all about? And it sort of hit me this summer, I've never really thought about it in those terms, but uh, Jesus quotes Isaiah whenever he starts his ministry and says, the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the sick, and to set captives free, and and there's this theme all throughout Paul as well about that. So that really caught my ear. We're going to explore the spiritual Christian life, not just what, you know, what do we do on Sunday, but what about the rest of the time? What are we supposed to be doing as Christians? It's kind of a Christianity or Kingdom Life 101. That subtitle, Jesus is King, is basically the, the why and the how. Because we, I claim, well, I'm not capable of doing anything on my own. It's only the blood of Jesus that will set people free and the Spirit of God that will break in and change lives. So we're going to explore that, invite you to be a part of that. Uh, tonight, the lesson is called The Kingdom of God Has Come Near. And we'll be in Psalms 13 in a moment if you want to open your Bible uh, or the Bible app. Or you're welcome to just listen. It's fine. Uh, it's really amazing to be together. I'm, I was kind of surprised that, that U of H didn't close again and stuff like that. It was such a hard year. And I don't know if you lost family or friends. I'm sure someone you love uh, was in that situation. Or maybe you're just frustrated like me with the state of the world. You watch the news and everything is horrible, right? Like at first it's okay. You're watching Netflix and oh, I can watch class and, you know, be in my pajamas. That's kind of nice, but it gets old. And just the state of the world from riots to capital invasions to the virus and death and job loss and dream crush. We had a student whose grandmother started a burger joint uh, up north, kind of lived out her dream like a decade ago or so. And it was closed down forever. Uh, because she couldn't keep her business open. So there's a lot of despair, a lot of discouragement. And if you read the scriptures, of course, the Bible's full of people who knew what it meant to be discouraged. They knew what it meant to uh, have hard times and to be oppressed. So think about the, the kingdom of Israel, right? God has chosen the special people, and not far after that, they're enslaved in Egypt. They're mistreated. They spend forever wandering in the wilderness. They finally get to the promised land. Uh, not without having to conquer some giants along the way. And once they're there, they build a temple and others come in and destroy it. Uh, the Babylonians destroyed the first temple in 586 BC and drug a lot of the Israelites off into other lands. And so, you know, they got to be thinking, where is God in all of this? Because God had made lots of promises to them to be their, his special people and to always have a king on the throne. So check out Psalms 13, where we hear David talking about his heartache in the midst of his people's struggle. Psalm 13, starting in verse 1. How long, Yahweh, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Yahweh, my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And this is a guy who has a lot of pressure on him. Kind of like you as students, right? you got all these uh, classes, you have jobs, and questions about your future. Who am I going to marry, maybe? Or where am I going to live? What am I going to do? 
and what are people thinking of me on campus? Am I going to look stupid if I go in the wrong class or show up late or come to this Sunday night worship and I don't know anybody, which is most of you. Uh, so no, you don't look any of those things. We're really honored that you're here. Um, and But David, you can hear it, right? He is just desperate for God. He's like, God, where are you? I know you're there, but I don't feel you. How long will you forget me? He feels forgotten. He feels left out. And he's afraid of being put to shame. So what gives him the right to feel that way? Well, it's pretty simple. God had made a covenant with David to, to establish his kingdom and his throne forever. It's a really important Bible passage. If you're taking notes, you're into that sort of thing, you should jot down 2 Samuel 7. I'll turn there now invite you to if you'd like, or you can just listen. 2 Samuel 7, the prophet Nathan makes... Uh, informs David of this covenant. So God speaks to prophets and he goes and tells the message. And he's making a, a covenant with David. And here, here's what he says, starting in verse 12. So Nathan's speaking on behalf of the Lord to this guy, David. Yahweh declares you that he himself will establish a house for you, David. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers... I will raise up from your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Right. So remember, David had the plans for the temple, the first temple, but it was uh, his son that actually constructed the thing. Solomon. So verse 14. God says, I will be his father. And he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That's a big promise. And thankfully, God's a big God who can keep his promise. But this explains why David's sitting there going, Hello, God, you made this promise. Why are my people being crushed? Why am I being challenged? Why are things not going the way that I thought they would? So 2 Samuel 7, really important Davidic covenant. And in there, you probably heard, hopefully, this, this theme of sonship, right? That, that whoever's the king under David, like David's lineage, will be as a son to God. So... Later, of course, one will come who really fulfills that and brings it. Fulfilling, by the way, in Scripture means to bring to fullness of meaning. It's not always a checklist of things. It can be that. But anyway, this explains why David felt so abandoned. We're also going to look at Psalm 2, verse 7. So this is just going to tie together a little bit of what we just said. David writes, Arise, O Lord, or Yahweh, deliver me, O my God, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. Well, that's Psalm 3, sorry. Verse 7, like, that's not right. I mean, that's biblical, but. So, chapter 2, verse 7, David writes, I will proclaim the decree of Yahweh. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me. And I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like pottery. Right? 
And later, this psalm will be applied, of course, to God's only begotten son, Jesus. So this is for another time. But uh, even towards Jesus's time, right, Jesus lived and entered the world in what uh, scholars call the intertestamental period or the second temple period. Because, uh, as I mentioned, the Babylonians destroyed the first one. And then um, God actually anointed uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, to bring Israel back, which is really bizarre because he's a pagan, right, a non-Jew. And, and yet God anointed him to bring. So God uses strange characters, right? That's all throughout the Bible, if you're familiar with Christianity. God always uses people you wouldn't expect. It's really interesting. So anyway, Jesus is born in this second temple period where Judaism had been, like the Jews had been scattered throughout uh, the Mediterranean and what we call the Jewish diaspora and their culture changed, traditions changed, the synagogue developed, which was not in the Old Testament, all these things like that. And they were still oppressed, right? So we'll jump over to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 2. And we still hear the despair, unfortunately. Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus is born, Herod is upset. He, he knows he's in trouble. And so he sends out a, a decree to slaughter all the infants. And we're going to look at uh, just verse 16, chapter 2, Matthew. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magdite. And then, when, uh, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. So he did the thing. He actually killed all those children. Jesus, of course, was escaped to Egypt. Uh, God gave his parents that grace to, to preserve him. But then, uh, verse 18, a voice was heard in Ramach, weeping in great mourning, Rachel, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Imagine your baby being slaughtered. And here you are supposed to be the anointed special people of God. So they're in desperate need, maybe like you or me this year, of some good news. So that's what we're going to explore tonight. We'll be in Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 1. Which it kind of befuddles me that Mark is second in the order because he was written first. and uh, That's the shortest gospel and it was the earliest one. So after I learned that, it's kind of confusing. I always want Mark to be before Matthew, but... Matthew, Mark, we're in chapter 1. Here we go. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make the path straight. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, pretty awesome, with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Pretty gnarly dude. I like it. I like it. Um, so verse 7, and this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, verse 9, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. 
And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, with whom I'm well pleased, and whom I love. Verse 12, At once the Spirit sent him out to the desert, and Jesus was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended to him. Well, Paul's right here, and note, it's pretty interesting that the first thing that happens after Jesus is baptized is Satan comes to tempt him, and he goes to be alone in the wilderness to fast for 40 days while being tempted from Satan. There's intense spiritual warfare, right? Which is, again, something, kind of a subtopic we'll get into this year. Um, it'll be interesting. We're going to get there. Um, but that's what Jesus does, and Luke writes that whenever Jesus comes back from that scenario, that he's filled with the power of God. And so we'll pick up right again in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. And after John was put in prison, John can't, can't keep his mouth shut in a good way. He's a truth teller. Some of y'all are truth tellers. And so is God. And unfortunately, you know, not unfortunately, but just people in power tend not to like that. And so they put John in prison. Later he'll be beheaded. Then Jesus goes into Galilee proclaiming the good news. Great. We need good news. Israel needed good news. What's the good news? This is where it gets interesting for tonight. Because we hear Paul all the time. So if I'm going to ask you, what's, what is the gospel? What is the good news? You'd probably be like me. But we also we want to hear Paul. And we're not taking away from that because that's central. We'll get to that later. But listen to what our Lord says the good news is. Verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus says the good news is that the kingdom of God is near. So we got to break that down a little bit. What's the kingdom? Well, kingdom is a simple word that basically, I don't know what you think of. I tend to think of like a place, you know, but it's not that. It's about the reign, R-E-I-G-N, reign, and rule of God. So what he's saying is God's rule and reign and power is about to break into the earth. This is what you've been waiting for. The time is here. The time is at hand. And, of course, Jesus goes on in his ministry to, to evidence this, right? He goes on healing people, casting out demons, and uh, even raising the dead, and, and showing all these signs and wonders. The power of God, the will of God is actually done on earth, right? Some people think everything that happens on earth is God's will. But if that's the case, why does, God, why does Jesus himself teach us to pray for God's will to be done? Right? And that's what's happening here is that God's authority, his sovereignty, his power and might and rule is about to be recognized, starting with the Messiah and then on to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus passes this on to his followers. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about uh, good news. What does it mean is good news, right? News is not advice. Just like Moses didn't come down from Mount Sinai with ten suggestions, it was ten commandments. Jesus is not giving suggestions or sort of advice here. He's telling you the news. What's news? It could be something simple for us like, oh, you know, Juan got a new set of tires on his car. Or Miss Mary's going on a trip soon. This is some information about what's happening. And when Jesus speaks, we ought to listen and take it really, really seriously and, and think very carefully about it. That the reign of God has come near. It's really powerful. So God's reign is breaking in, and he sends his followers to do the same. We're going to look at Matthew 10 real quick. Uh, Matthew 10, verses 5 to 8. 
I love these verses this summer. We're going to get into these more this semester. Uh, right here, we'll just read about Jesus sending out his 12 to do the same kind of stuff that he's doing. That's what he tells them to do. So Matthew 10, starting in verse 5. Jesus sent the 12 out with the following instructions. Don't go among the Gentiles or go into any of the, to Samaria. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So let's just pause there and say that Jesus came to sort of strengthen and, and set Israel right to be the nation it was always supposed to be. And then they were called to be a light to the Gentiles, Isaiah 49.6 and Acts 1.8. And that's what the church is for. So anyway, just in case you're confused, like, why didn't Jesus send them? Does he not care? Like, maybe you know, but just in case someone was confused. Verse 6, he says, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Verse 7, as you go, preach this message. What's the message? The same message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, and freely you shall give. Later in Luke chapter 10, it's become one of my favorite chapters in the Bible this summer. Uh, Jesus sends out a larger group. He sends out 72. And he gives them further instructions. And we're going to look at that in detail later, what he tells them to do, what to say. Specifically, like to go and to bless people and to let your peace rest on them. We'll talk about that later. Really cool stuff. If you want to skip ahead later, go home tonight and read Luke 10. But we believe that at the point in Cooks of Christ, that that's, that's what we exist to do. We exist to obey the Lord Jesus as our King. He's given us His instructions. It's pretty simple. And so we seek to do that in love and in humility. And so I want you to dream with me for just a minute. What would U of H look like if God's reign was fully recognized? What if every coog on campus submitted their life to Jesus? What would look different? I bet students would be a little less anxious about their grades. I know it's tough. I bet you'd be a, bit, a little bit less anxious, maybe more patient with each other. I wonder what kind of demons would have to be cast out. I wonder if the spirit of lust would be re replaced with a spirit of purity and holiness that bears fruit and life and gives true life. I wonder what kind of wounds would be bound up. I wonder what kind of pain people are going through that Jesus could heal in their heart. I bet the fruits of the Spirit would be on the big banners in the library and in the student center. I bet the people that we praise would be the ones who humble themselves and put others first. So what do we do about this? What do we do about this? Well, first we should take our cue from John and from Jesus and recognize that this is urgent. They treat this with utmost importance. There is nothing more important. That's why John's not out there in the desert for fun, eating on very little. He's there to bring the kingdom of God. And his, he only had one job. I forgot how long it was, how long he was out there. So much time he spent all for like three months of ministry. Like as soon as his ministry started, oh, he's baptizing people. Come, repent, get right with the Lord. And then he sees Jesus. John tells us when he sees Jesus, he just he says, behold, the Lamb of God it takes away the sins of the world. He must increase. I must decrease. I'm not him. Go to him. And like three months later, John's head is cut off. His job was done. He spent all this time. But for something that had eternal, eternal fruit. So first, we want to recognize the urgency of this message and, and really Realize that it, it will take everything. 
Jesus says that. He says, if you would follow me, you must die to yourself. There's no part of us that can stay. And it is so hard. And I confess to you, I promise, I'm obviously still working on it. Ask anyone in here who knows me. You can already tell. But every day you wake up and you say, Lord, what part of my life uh, is not yet submitted to your kingdom and to your reign? Or what am I, what am I, where am I drifting? And so I'll only talk about a little bit. We want to obey the next part too, repent, right? Which means change your mind and reorient your whole life towards this one truth. He says, repent and believe. It's hard to believe. I confess that. It is hard. This summer I found myself believing for the first time in a long time. Jesus' words when he says you don't need to be anxious. Your heavenly father cares for you. If he, if he, if he takes care of those birds out there, he's going to take care of you. We can actually trust that. We can actually believe that. It's just amazing. So we want to recognize the urgency. We want to repent and, and really put our life there. So tonight, if you are a Christian, I praise God for you. And I give you a moment here. We're going to take like 20 seconds in a moment just to let you sort of have a moment of silence to pray to the Lord individually and, and just say, Lord, uh, my life is yours. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for blessing me. Would you bless my semester and keep me on the straight and narrow? And uh, let's take 20 seconds to do that right now. We'll be 20 seconds in prayer. After we recognize the urgency of the message, we repent and believe. So that was, I was talking to the Christian students, but maybe, maybe you've never given your life to the Lord. Um, so I'd encourage you to do that tonight. If you believe, or maybe you've, you've been in church for a while, but you haven't really committed your life to this. Um, maybe you've never been baptized. There's no such thing in the New Testament as a non-baptized Christian. Uh, we will do that tonight. If, you're free, if you want to, we will go out maybe to the fountain or to the pools on campus. We will find water and baptize you into Christ. Your sins can be washed away. You can be born again and receive the Holy Spirit. It's amazing stuff that God offers us. And lastly, we do invite you, of course, hope you'll get involved in the campus ministry. Uh, get involved in Cooks for Christ, the student group. Ceci, I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. And... Yeah, so if you, if you have a need tonight, as Stanley stands to lead us in song in just a second, I'll be in the back. Feel free to come, come talk to me if you'd like, or you can talk to me after the service. Um, but uh, as you come around to sing, I'll, I'll close us out uh, with prayer. Father, thank you so much for your mercy on our lives. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. Thank you for this new life we have in your son, God. This, you've set us free. We can really trust in you, God. We can really live for your purpose instead of our own. And seek to bless instead of live selfishly. Lord, help us to do better at that. Help us as a campus ministry to shine your light of hope and love on the campus. And to believe in this good news that your kingdom has drawn near. We pray that we would uh, bear fruit for your kingdom. God, that we would live out this reality of the the spiritual power that is available to us only through you and the blood of your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.